following program was paid for by Atlantic Neurosurgical Specialists. The views and opinions expressed on Answers Live are not necessarily those of the staff and management of the station. Management has not investigated the claims made during this program. The views and medical recommendations of guests on Answers Live are not necessarily those of Atlantic Neurosurgical Specialists. As always, consult your health professional regarding any medical decisions. Welcome to Answers Live, your community medical connection, making a partnership of good health. The studio lines are open for your calls and questions. Call 973-267-9687. Now, here's your host, Tom Wood. Good morning and welcome to Answers Live, your community medical connection, creating a partnership of good health. I'm your host, Tom Wood from Atlantic Neurosurgical Specialist. Answers Live is brought to you every Sunday morning at 9.30 by Atlantic Neurosurgical Specialist, the largest subspecialized neurosurgical group in the state of New Jersey. Our main office is at 310 Madison Avenue in Morristown, New Jersey. We have our newest office open in Somerset County in Bedminster at 350 Main Street. Again, we are the largest neurosurgical group in the state, and please don't let insurance dictate where you go. We do see all patients, and we have insurance consultants uh, ready for you to discuss your plans and see how we can work with you so you can get over to us and see our, our physicians. Okay, this morning, again, I have a very new, exciting show. Um, my guest this morning is Dr. Craig L. Bissinger. He is from Lifeline Medical Associates, and I'm going to give you that address now, and I'll give it to you a few times uh, during the show. He's at 50 Cherry Hill Road, Suite 303 in Parsippany, New Jersey. He can be reached at 973-335-8500. Um, our call-in line to speak to him directly again, I'll give it to you, is 973 973- 267-9687. Again, that's 973-267-9687. Again, Dr. Bissinger is an OBGYN from Parsippany, and I'll give him a little plug. He is the author of a, of a book called A Father's Guide to Pregnancy, Pickles and Ice Cream. Good morning, Dr. Bissinger. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Today's topic we're going to be discussing um, is cervical cancer, which is a very important topic, especially for our women listeners. And also throughout the show, we're going to be talking about the HPV virus. Um, and we now know that um, this is something that men should be uh, concerned about. Um, but before we get into that topic, give our listeners a little bit about who you are, your practice, um, and anything else you want them to know about you. Thanks, Tom. Uh, well, I am an obstetrician and gynecologist. I've been in practice for over 20 years. Uh, I like delivering babies. That's probably the thing I like the most about practicing. Uh, I deliver my babies, and my practice works out of Morristown Medical Center, which is a wonderful institution to work at if you're going to be delivering babies. Okay. Um, also, uh, I am a father of three children and, and husband, so I've done that for a long time as well. So that's probably my most important attribute is my children and uh, my family. I also do teach a lot over at Marstown. We have a residency program and we have medical students. And so I spend a lot of time uh, working with those students and uh, doctors in training to try to help get them the opportunity to learn the skills that they'll need to be tomorrow's uh, physicians. So uh, kind of do a lot of things. And I also write books when I'm stuck in labor and delivery. Awesome. And the book you have out there now is A Father's Guide to Pregnancy. Yes. And I got the name Pickles and Ice Cream from one of my patients, by the way, who didn't like the name A Father's Guide to Pregnancy. And I had a, she was 17 years old. And I was telling her mother about the book. And she asked me the name. And I said, oh, it's A Father's Guide to Pregnancy. And she goes, that'll never sell. <laughs> and I looked at her and said, would you have a better name? And she goes, yeah, Pickles and Ice Cream. Okay, so that's the title of the book, everyone. Right. So take a look at that. If anyone you know uh, is expecting, that's a good book or a good gift for the father. 
Um, okay, let's get into the topic today. Let's get into cervical cancer. Um, how big a problem is cervical cancer? Well, if you look at it from a numbers basis, there's probably about 12,000 cases a year, new cases diagnosed in the United States, and about 4,000 women will, will die from this condition. But it's a, a much bigger condition simply because it starts with a very large group of women who start off with precancers. And slowly over the course of their life, it becomes a problem for a select group of those women, meaning they get cancer. The others will have interventions performed by their obstetrician gynecologist to forestall or prevent it. So this is a condition that we can actually prevent. Okay. And the, when you say precancer, I hear, you know, um, in my age group, which is in the 40s, a lot of women saying they had an, um, a pap smear that was irregular and they had some type of procedure to freeze something. Or, or Is that what you're talking about? There's a variety of procedures that can be done and that have been done over the last 40 or 50 years to prevent this problem. But you're correct. We can actually uh, interrupt the progression from abnormal cells to cancer. And as you mentioned, freezing is just one of those procedures. Okay. Um, with the pap smears, since we have our listeners, how important is that every year for a woman to get a pap smear? And um, um, the results um, generally come back. You're looking for just a normal result, no atypical cells. Is that what we're looking for? Right. But you said something that, which is one of the reasons why I thought this was so important to discuss because you know, this is Sunday morning. I could be with my family, but the changes in pap smear recommendations have been out for the last three years. Okay. And there's been a lot of confusion uh, because things change. Uh, we were trained as obstetricians and gynecologists that a pap needs to be done every single year. Um, and I did that for the first you know, 25 years of my career. And I was blessed that very, very rarely did I find a patient who actually would become uh, have cervical cancer. That's all kind of changing as far as the screening. We're finding now that this is a condition that's triggered by HPV virus, which is a wart virus. Wow. And wart viruses, it's not the same exact wart that you get on your finger, but it's a sexually transmitted infection. That infection uh, is very commonly acquired uh, when you become sexually active in your 20s. And it can, one of several things happens. One, it just sits there as a virus and does nothing. Two, your body will clear it out no different than if you had chickenpox. And a small number of people, it just lingers and festers and grows over the course of years. And they found out that it takes about 20 years, if you've got the bad strains of this virus, to turn into cancer. So during that 20 years, we have the opportunity to intervene and protect that patient and get rid of that infection for that smaller group of patients. So you have to look at the whole of society first and suddenly find out who are those unfortunate few who have acquired the specific strain of the virus that can lead to cancer. Okay. Um, so is HPV the only way to get cervical cancer? Is that what you're... That's the new findings are that only HPV virus can be associated with cervical cancer. And they found that out by going back and looking at women who had had cervical cancer they oftentimes will freeze or save pieces of their specimens. And they went back and they found the DNA markings of HPV in just about every single cancer case, going back generations. So cervical cancer can be stated as a sexually transmitted disease caused by the HPV virus. Wow. Uh, I'm just astonished myself sitting here listening to you. That's um, amazing um, information, and, and it's news that 
my wife's listening to now that um, all women should know, uh, especially when you have the younger children. And I'm going to get into that um, HPV virus and all that in a few minutes. Um, but that's, that's really astonishing news. Um, how are we doing fighting the disease of cervical cancer? We're actually doing a, a much better job than we had done in the past. When I first started my residency, I think the number of deaths was over 20,000 a year. And the scope of the disease of people diagnosed was even greater than that. And now we're down to 4,000 deaths a year. The interesting part of this whole process is that 60% of the women who will actually contract this disease are women who have not gone to see a gynecologist in, in, the, in the past 10 or 15 years. So those women who are seeing physicians, seeing their gynecologists and other practitioners, are not getting cervical cancer or not getting it to the frequency or the extreme of the patients who are not going in to get care. Okay. Um, how are we doing preventing the disease? When you were saying it's caused by the HPV virus and, and pap smears, uh, is there a test now for women? Should they be? Is there a test to say, oh, you, you have the HPV virus in your system? Is that a test that they should have now instead of their pap smear, so to speak, or, or in conjunction with? That's, that's an excellent question, Tom. Um, so here, here's the, the answer. This, is, this whole issue is relatively confusing, even to obstetricians, because the rules and suggestions are continuing to shift as we go along. So HPV testing will be suggested to women after the age of 30 in conjunction with their pap smear. We don't do them in their 20s, and we don't do any pap smears under 21, by the way, okay. because the HPV virus is very commonly found in these younger women. In fact, 70% of women between the ages of 20 and 30 are going to be positive for the virus. Having the virus in your 20s does not mean you're going to get cervical cancer. Most of the time, you will clear the virus, as I mentioned, like chickenpox. You'll get rid of it. You'll fight it off. It'll go away, and you won't have it anymore. And in fact, you'll have a resistance to that strain of the virus. I also want to mention there's over 45 strains of virus, right. and only 12 of them actually are cervical cancer-causing strains. So we don't do a HPV testing in your 20s because it doesn't help. We assume they're going to have HPV. Rather, we start it in your 30s. Okay. Um, I, I want to get very deep into the HPV virus. Um, I do have a caller on the line. Um, hold on. Let's see what we have here. Um, hello. You're on the line with Dr. Bissinger at Tom at ANS. Who am I speaking with? Hi. Hi, Tom. This is Jacqueline. I've been listening to your show for a while now, so oh. thank you for putting me on. No um, I have a question, and I might be jumping the gun a little bit, but with the HPV virus, I've heard now that it's actually... They're doing shots now for prevention to boys, too. And I found that a little weird, and I, I know I'm probably maybe ahead of where you guys are at. But uh, yeah. are they, you know, maybe for the doctor. I guess I'm asking the doctor. Yeah, no, that's a great <laughs> question. true. I don't know if you're going to discuss it, but I know I've had friends mention that they're, you know, their boys are being um, getting these shots as well. Yes, we're, we're actually, that's one of the questions. I guess you're reading my script for me. But yeah, we're going to be talking about that. But um, Dr. Bissinger, do you want to touch on it now or do you want sure. to? Sure. Hi, Jacqueline. Thanks for calling, hi, by the way. Hi, hi. Okay, so HPV shots for boys. Well, as we mentioned, this is a sexually transmitted virus, so it would make sense that the boys and the girls would be in, at risk. So the recommendation has changed in the last few years, and they're aggressively trying to get boys to get vaccinated as well. Personally, I think that it's mostly as a way to help stem the tide of the infections for the girls. 
right. the, the initial vaccine, when it was rolled out to the population, had a very poor response. Um, I think only 13% of girls were getting vaccinated. And if you start thinking about that, that doesn't really do a whole lot to prevent the disease transmission. So right. they started looking at other ways to help improve that protection. Right. And obviously it became uh, pretty obvious that if you can get the boys uh, to be involved, that you're going to slow the transmission rates down. So that's where we headed with the HPV. Now, you also may have heard some stories about uh, the potential for uh, other ways to get HPV in the, in the throat, as an example, um, right, and, and causing right. throat cancers. I, I, I think I, it was a Michael Douglas story. Yeah, well, that right. th- yeah, we understand that's a possibility. I don't think that's uh, proven, but it certainly pa- makes us pause and think about it. And I don't see how there's a lot of downside to offering this vaccine to our boys, um, as they are, you know, should be just as responsible as the girls are for the health of the women in our society. So, right, right. So <laughs> boys are getting, I, I guess I didn't realize that a vaccine that could help a girl would biologically help a boy too. You know what I mean? I guess visualizing that just somehow seems strange to me. <laughs> well, yeah, but if you think about this vaccine, it's no different than the uh, measles vaccine or the mumps right. vaccine. Right, right. And, and that's what it is. And you'll be really pleased to know that when women, young women have had these vaccinations, uh, they don't get these strains of virus anymore. It is almost 100%. It's, right. amazing, it's an excellent, it's an excellent uh, vaccine. Right. Thank you so much, doctor. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jacqueline, for calling Answers Live. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. That was a great question. Of course, it did jump the gun uh, on some of the questions I wanted to ask. Um, but since we, we did touch base on that, my question to you is, um, I heard Jacqueline's concerns about it, but really it's a virus. So men do get HPV virus and it does, can cause different things. Of course, we don't know that it causes throat cancer, but there is that possibility. And also, I guess with anything, it, it stops the spread of the virus itself. So your recommendation, I know my children both had their pediatrician uh, visits recently, and they're both of that age where they were recommended both of them to have it. So I did have them both vaccinated. And when they did ask me years ago uh, for my daughter, I did hesitate like everyone else because it's kind of a shock. You're thinking of your young, um, uh, you know, teenage girl who has never had sexual um, intercourse or done anything sexual, and they're telling you you want to have a, a vaccine for sexual transmitted disease. It was a little bit standoffish for me. I'm like, no way, you know, because that's never going to happen. But um, what is the reason you want to do it so young? What is that reason? Well, if you look at the recommendations, they're recommending the vaccine between ages of 9 and 26. So I find it pretty tough to think that my 9-year-old daughter would be needing a vaccine to prevent transmission of a virus, which right. is sexually transmitted. Right. So I was very reluctant to even consider that for her or even to recommend that to my patients. The other thing I also wonder is that we are still working on including more of the vi- virus strains in the vaccine. So right now, the vaccine offers you protection against four strains of virus. There's over 12 strains of virus that are cancer causers. So we really would like to get a better vaccine that will include more strains so that we can actually rid ourselves of this risk of infection. They're still working on those additional uh, additions to the viral strains in the vaccine. So to me, it would make sense when you have a younger person, younger girl or boy, that you may wait until they're 13 or 14 as opposed to doing it at age 9, simply because we don't know what the new technology and innovations are going to be for our children. 
So I would suggest that you talk to your pediatrician about that, and even talk to your obstetrician gynecologist about it, and have a discussion with your child when you're going to do the, the vaccination. It's really quite a good chance to sit down and have a frank discussion about uh, being responsible for your own health and understand that there are consequences, which are adult consequences, to behaviors that you may not understand when you're maybe 11 or 12 or even 13. Right. That's that's great advice um, for everyone listening. I'm going to take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to get really deep into this uh, HPV virus. I'll be right back. I'm Tom Wood of Atlantic Neurosurgical Specialists. Suffering from neck or back pain can truly disrupt your life. Every day, I hear of the stories of people whose lives have been devastated by nerve pain, but who are afraid to see a neurosurgeon. They're scared of surgery. But at Atlantic Neurosurgical Specialists, we make getting back to the life you want possible using a variety of minimally invasive treatments. Our group of specialists are among the best trained doctors in the state, the leaders in stroke and minimally invasive spine and brain tumor procedures, and we view surgery as the last option. Don't be afraid to end your pain. Trust Atlantic Neurosurgical Specialists. We have eight offices throughout New Jersey and are affiliated with most healthcare systems. Call 973-285-7800 or visit us at ansdocs.com. That's ansdocs.com. Atlantic Neurosurgical Specialist. We've truly got your back. Welcome back to Answers Live. I'm your host, Tom Wood. I'm very excited today. I have a great uh, guest today, Dr. Craig Bissinger. He is from uh, Lifeline uh, Medical Associates, located at 50 Cherry Hill Road in Parsippany. Uh, his office number, again, is 973-335-8500. We're talking about cervical cancer and the HPV virus, and we found out um, really incredible information today that cervical cancer is caused by the HPV virus. So we're really delving into this virus and um, about vaccination. So I'm going to jump back where we were a little bit now, but we were talking about the vaccinations, which I want to go over again. But what is the HPV virus? What is that? I know what it stands for just because I'm in that field, but what is HPV virus? What is it? Well, it's called human papillomavirus. And there are a whole bunch of different viruses that quote unquote are like a papilloma. And that's mentioning to you earlier that, uh, for instance, a wart is a type of a papilloma, but not the same type of papilloma as the ones that are associated with sexually transmitted diseases. And there are approximately 45 identified different strains of this virus. Twelve of them are known to be cancer causers. The, vi the vaccines that are out now, the Gardasil and the Cervarax, which is a second company, has one out as well, are covering two of the most aggressive strains that cause the cancers. That's strain 16 and strain 18. Those two strains account for 70% of cervical cancers. So right now, when you get your Gardasil shot, you're being protected from 70% of the cancer-causing viruses, which still means 30% are still lurking out there. Right. Okay. Now, with the vaccine, I know, like I said, both my children started. Why do you have to do this three times? I know when I had my hepatitis, I had to go three times. What is the, the thought process, especially when I was explaining it to uh, my children that you have to have a shot? That alone is panic time. But when I have to tell them you have to have a series of shots, what is the, the reason for this series of shots and how important to continue those? It's an excellent question. Uh, the series of shots are meant to help your body to slowly to build a response. 
each shot will expose your body to a foreign substance, a virus, that your body will start to react to to build more antibodies. And the length of time, which is a month apart for the first two shots and six months later for the third shot, allows your body the opportunity to continue to build a strong, I call it an army of, of, of uh, fighting cells to be prepared if and when you are exposed to the virus. So it takes a while to build that up, and that's why you have to take more than one shot. The second part of your question was, you know, what happens if you only take a few of the, uh, one or, or less or two of the shots? And the answer is that you just don't get the same level of immunity and protection. So it's really important to complete the full series of shots. Okay. Um, another question I have for you, um, I know when I was researching this for my own children, they they really stressed to us that the, the child should have it before their first um, sexual experience or sexual uh, intercourse. Is that is that important? Because now I heard you said it's a 9 to 26, and I'm sure most people by the time they're 26 will have some type of sexual experience. What is, what is your belief on that? Should you do it before they um, start having a sexual intercourse or... When I have my patients ask me, should I have my daughter vaccinated? And, you know, it's a, it's a discussion. It's a tough topic as a mother to identify that your daughter may be becoming sexually active. And we start talking about their daughter, first of all. I mean, there's some 13-year-olds who are really 9-year-olds. In, right. In, and there's some 13-year-olds who are like 26-year-olds. Exactly. So, you know, what we sit and chat about their child and their personalities and then kind of come to a conclusion, when is the best time to start the vaccination series? Some people, well, it's appropriate at 13, and some, it may not be something that the mom wants to even deal with until she's 16 or 17. Certainly, um, it's impossible to know when someone, woman will choose to be, young woman will be, choose to be sexually active, but certainly at the same time, we're hoping that she'll make good choices and she will also get vaccinated. Okay. The other part of this is the age of their partners. Generally, it's not always, but when younger women start to become sexually active, it's with somebody of similar ages right. who probably is equally as inexperienced and hasn't had the risk of being exposed to the viruses. So the best thing to do is to try to pick and choose a time that's appropriate for your own child. Okay. Um, I'm sure some of the questions out there is, uh, say you, you, you have not been uh, vaccinated and, you, and you, you're sexually active and you, you are exposed to the HPV virus. Now, you, you have it. You might not know it. But now you're going to have the vaccine, but you already were exposed to that. Um, does that do anything with the, vac- the, the virus that's in you? Will it stop it from growing, or it's too late for that particular exposure? Well, since there are 45 different strains, we don't know what strain you are actually exposed to, first of all. Secondly, um, we will be checking your pap smears, and if you acquired a strain that was leading to a, a precancer of your cervix, there are remedies to get rid of that. And you can still get vaccinated because you are going to be covered for strains that you haven't been exposed to already. So it is recommended, even if you did get uh, exposed to HPV, to continue to get the shot. They're also working on ways to decide if the shots are worthwhile to take after age 26. And they're exploring that and doing research on that presently. Okay. On a pap smear, what do you, what do you look, when you were talking about looking at a pap smear, what do you look for? What do you see? What information do you get from a pap smear? Well, the pap smear is actually broken down to two pieces now for women over age 30. The first thing that is done is the cells are, are looked at under the microscope to look at the characteristics. Do they look normal? Are the cells big? Are they small? Do they have strange looks inside of them? And that's looked at by a person called a cytopathologist. It is a person trained to look at pap smears. They will make a judgment if the cells look normal, atypical, 
if they have characteristics that are precancer or cancerous. So that's part one of, of the test. The second part is looking for the DNA of the HPV virus. And so when they combine the two, that helps us to be much more accurate in determining if there's a problem. And in fact, pap smears now pick up 98% of the cervical cancer, precancers, each time they're done, compared to 80% about 10 years ago. Okay. And your recommendation, a recommendation for pap smears um, for women, how often should they get it? So between the ages of 21 and 30, it's every two to three years. Okay. After age 30, the recommendation is every three years if you've had normal pap smears three times in a row prior. And after age 65, that's a good question because there's uh, some suggestions that you probably don't need any more after age 65 as long as you've had normal pap smears. Okay. Um, is there a blood test for HPV virus? Can you get a blood test to say, oh, I, I'm exposed? There is no blood test that I know of now that would be of benefit. They may be able to monitor that you've been exposed, but it's not used clinically. Right, because you don't know what strain you're exposed Nor to. Or do you know where it was from? Because there, there are other types of HPV viruses and other types of virus which are similar. Okay. Um, um, being in the medical field and just and looking at different researches, I know that, that drug companies are constantly out there um, um, and competition themselves to continually come out with different vaccines and cover more. Um, I know in the future, I'm sure you're going to see more and more vaccines coming out for this. Um, am I able, now that my children have started the track with their specific um, um, inoculations, um, what if something comes out that's better and it covers 10 of the different types of, could they get that also or, or are they kind of stuck now because they've started a treatment with something else? What will happen in the future when these new vaccines come out is that they'll have a supplement for those who've already been vaccinated. So instead of taking a, a viral injection that will cover, let's say, all 12 strains, uh, since you've already been given a shot that covered you for four strains, they'll have a supplemental vaccine that you'll be able to take to get the same benefit as those younger individuals who got the different and the newer vaccine. Okay. Um, do you believe um, that we will cure cervical cancer in the future? Unfortunately, no. Okay. And the reason I say that is not that we won't have the technology. It's just that we don't have the access to all the patients who are going to have the condition. As I mentioned to me earlier, you know, 50 or 60% of the cases of cervical cancer are just from women who failed to come in and take, a, take that hour of their day to come into the gynecologist to get screened. And those women are outside of the, of the health system. So they will continue to get cervical cancer. Uh, in my practice, I've seen three cases of cervical cancer in the last 20 years. Two of those <clears throat> patients walked into my office. They hadn't seen a doctor in over 20 years, and they had advanced cervical cancers. And the third one was a very atypical case in the younger women who we were fortunate to pick up as well. So I think that if we were to all go and do what we're supposed to do, uh, we would eliminate cervical cancer in the United States. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. And cervical cancer, um, if caught in time, is treatable? Um, it is treatable. Even the more advanced cases uh, can be treated with surgeries and radiation and get good outcomes. Okay. And in, in advanced stages, I, I think when I was younger, Gilda Radner, I think um, uh, something like that uh, died of that. Or um, it does. It's an aggressive disease if you don't uh, treat it, though, and that's what, Correct. what's scary. Correct. It's a, it's, a, it's a sad condition because you know that it could have been prevented. 
Okay. So what we've learned today, which is really astonishing to me, is cervical cancer is, is caused by the HPV virus. Um, so the recommendations um, as we start closing down the show from you would be um, pap smears. Well, I'll, actually, I'll let you uh, kind of go through it. Pap smears should be done. Every three years after you've had three normal pap smears. Okay. And the HPV virus vaccines are something that we should um, strongly think about and have the discussions with our children. Correct. Okay. Well, this was an extremely interesting show. Even for me, I've learned so much. It uh, made me feel much better with my decisions with my own children and getting the HPV vaccine. I want to thank everyone for listening. Again, my guest today was uh, Dr. Craig Bissinger. Again, he can be reached at 973-335-8500. He's located very uh, locally in Parsippany. Again, I'm Tom Wood from ANS, Atlantic Neurosurgical Specialist. We're located at 310 Madison Avenue in Morristown. We can be reached at 973-285-7800. Thank you and have a wonderful day. The following program was paid for by Atlantic Neurosurgical Specialists. The views and opinions expressed on Answers Live are not necessarily those of the staff and management of the station. Management has not investigated the claims made during this program. The views and medical recommendations of guests on Answers Live are not necessarily those of Atlantic Neurosurgical Specialists. As always, consult your health professional regarding any medical decisions. <laughs>